G'day folks, welcome to Pause and Listen, a podcast series brought to you by Big Dog Pet Foods, the leading pet nutrition provider in Australia with over 20 years of experience in the pet industry. We provide educational resources for pet parents and are proud of being transparent in everything we do. The podcast series is hosted by me, Johnny Manning, and we bring you interviews and deep dives into pet nutrition, pet care, training, and regular Ask a Vet segments. So thanks for tuning in. Now get your tails wagging and we'll get yapping. Alrighty, good day. Pet owners, fair parents and lovers of all creatures, great and small. Welcome to yet another episode of Pause. And listen, it's a Big Dog Pet Foods podcast and a place where you can come to find all manner of pet-related information. My name is Johnny Manning. I'm your host for today, but it's not about me, this chat. This chat is about the wonderful guest I have on the line with me, veterinarian, creative director and founder of Shy Tiger, owner of Montalbert Veterinary Surgery in Melbourne, the great, the one and only Dr. Nicole Rouse. Always a pleasure to see you and talk with you, Dr. Nicole. How are you doing? I'm really well. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm really looking forward to tonight's chat because it's a topic that you know, we don't always get to bring into the conversation. They often get sort of forgotten about or thought of as just sort of small dogs, don't they? So I'm looking forward to tonight. Should be good. Small and less and uh, a little bit less uh, affectionate dogs. What we're talking about, of course, are cats. You're gonna. You might be. You've got to be careful. You might get some hate. You've got to be quite careful how you articulate. I know. Right. Look, let's just let's just get things out in the open right now. I'm a dog person but I don't (laughs) dislike cats, all right? I used to have a cat myself. Um, I've had, you know, a lot of positive interactions with cats, but I have read online that if you die in your house alone, your cat is more likely to eat you than your dog is. So I don't know if that's true or not. That's so funny. (laughs) That's really funny. I actually heard that conversation on a um, podcast like I was listening to a podcast the other day and I heard the same conversation, but they were raw feeding vets who were yeah. doing this podcast and um, they argued, no, the dog would actually oh, eat okay. you Oh, well, okay. Well, fair enough. Okay. Well, then I'm going to yeah. have to have a stern yeah, conversation yeah. with Frank. Hey, mate, if this happens, you're not to eat me. <laughs> but look, um, Dr. Nicole, it's, they are very vastly different animals, albeit, you know, hand in hand, the most p- popular domestic pets we have in Australia are obviously cats and dogs. They're not supposed to live together in harmony, but a lot of the time they do, which, you know, growing up as a kid, you wouldn't think that that happens. But then you see multiple households that have a dog and a cat. Quite often the cat rules the roost, but they do require different care to dogs, don't they? Absolutely. I think they're um, they they go about life their own way, and I think because they do things on their own terms, they're often quite misunderstood. Um, and like you're saying, often cats don't want to be in a household with a dog, but they often don't actually even want to be in a household <laughs> with another cat. Um, they're quite solitary creatures. They don't necessarily want to be in a house with another human either, but um, they they just do things their own way, and I think the better we understand what the cat's needs are and wants and can create that environment for them, the happy they are 
the more harmonious a household is. So, yeah, I think when you go through things step by step and we talk about their nuances, uh, hopefully everyone who has listened to this will really pick up a few tips that they can really make practical changes that will really impact their cat's life. Well, that's so great because we all want our pets to be happy. You know, they're, they're part of our family and there's nothing mm-hmm. we want more than, you know, the the joy and contentment and happiness of our pets. So let me ask you this. We we've we speak at length about raw feeding for dogs. Now, one of the things we talk about very, very regularly is that the uh, the biology uh, of a common domestic dog isn't really that far removed from that of a wolf or a, or a wild dog. So when we talk about raw feeding with dogs, we talk about mirroring the diet of the wild animal or the, you know, the, the evolutionary diet. Now, what about when it comes to cats? Now, we've got these great cats that are out there in the wild, you know, the lions, the tigers, and then an, an entire suite, of leopards and cheetahs and panthers and you name it. Is the genetic makeup, or, or, or I guess more so the digestive system of a household cat, that different for that from that of the, the cats in the wild? I know, I just had this image or this vision there when you were saying that of the zookeepers going around sprinkling kibble in I the zoo. Do you ever see that happening? I don't, I, I've never seen that happen. <laughs> so I actually think cats are almost more extreme than dogs with this. So absolutely cats have not evolved and changed their digestion. They are not suited. Like when we talk about dogs not um, thriving on carbohydrates, cats is like a whole different level. They don't, they don't even have salivary amylase. So that's the mm. enzyme that breaks down carbohydrates. So they don't even have any of that in their saliva. Right. Dogs have a little bit. They have nothing. So they are true obligate mm. carnivores. They are not designed really at all to eat carbohydrates. And then you look at the kibble we're feeding them, 40 to 60% carbs. So if they're in the wild, they will choose 5% or less wow. carbohydrates. And they will be, um, they'll be like vegetable sources of carbs. They're not going to go and eat a few grains of rice and things like that. Whereas dogs, are, I like the definition of dogs being um, scavenging carnivores where they can just do yeah. what they'll find. Whereas cats are real obligate carnivores. They will go and, you know, hunt. Mm. We all know they will hunt. They love hunting. That's in their nature. So, but the really other interesting thing that I don't think I ever, I don't remember learning about this in vet school, but cats will eat by choice. So we know dogs eat once every two or three days in the wild. That would be their standard. And so that's why we often recommend to feed dogs only once a day. And some people encourage this intermittent fasting, um, you know, giving them a a bone broth and a low level of food every now and again to sort of emulate what would happen in the wild. Um, But cats would actually eat in the wild more than six times a day. What? Yeah. It's really interesting. I actually didn't know that until I got into nutrition and started studying it. So, I mean, I, and I think with, there's so many obesity issues and dietary issues in cats, you know, you look at diabetes, pancreatitis, obesity. Um, and I always thought it was just the carbs. And I always thought, okay, well, that makes sense. It's just the carbohydrates putting pressure on the pancreas. I can do my yeah. pancreas dance again. Um but it's it's actually, I think, also the fact that in their nature they've evolved to 
um, eat so many times a day and then we're only feeding them a couple of times a day, some people. And so then they're like panicking, they're fasting. And then we'll talk about behavioural reasons that creating the feeding as well. But I think we're really not emulating what they want in the wild. A lot of people do put leave kibble out all day and let the cats sort of feed ab lib. But again, we're talking about these diets that are 50% carbs and that's not what they would do in the wild. So, yeah, they just catch little bits of prey all in right, the day. That's remarkable that he that many times a day mm. and then obviously they're hunting to, to get their prey as well yes H- how much of a cat's diet needs to be protein yeah like they're so if they were to choose their diet in the wild you're looking at like 80 yep. percent muscle meat like okay. it's huge yeah it's huge and then sort of and then the other thing that's really interesting i find with cats is you picture what they would eat so if you picture a cat's going to mm. eat a mouse they're going to eat like little mammals and little things. And there's a lot more meat and skin and stuff relative to a dog, which would be a scavenging yeah, one okay. who find other sorts of stuff. So there, there are lots of muscle meat um, and then, say, 10% bone. They're still going to eat a bit of the organ meat, so similar to cats and dogs, um, but maybe like 15% offal rather than the 10, so a little bit more, so a bit more offal bit more mm. meat and a bit less veg and a bit less other stuff. So, um, but then we, you have to always get that taurine source in for them. So they've got that essential yeah, amino acid Yeah, I wanted to touch taurine. on taurine. That, is that highly concentrated mm. in, I think, the heart, is it? Yeah, yeah, I saw where you were going with that. People can't, if people are listening, they can't see the video. <laughs> My hand went there first. The it gave me away. Yeah, your heart. <laughs> you're all heart, Johnny. You're all heart. Um, the cats would go through first. Oh, my God, my dogs. That's <laughs> my all dogs right. get excited. Um, definitely heart. So if you're going to, you would, if you looked at, say, the big dog cat recipe, um, it would have heart meat in there. Um, and heart is not considered an organ meat, which is interesting. It's considered oh, a muscle right. meat still. Do you know how when people talk about raw diets, heart okay. and muscle meat? So it doesn't <clears throat> count in your organ meat. Um and then it's also in dark fish, you okay. can get taurine, some of the dark So fish does that then mean that um, you need to be aware that within that 80% muscle meat, there has to be a reasonably large contingent of heart meat in there, not just sort of, yeah, okay. Exactly. All right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's why you can't feed cats right. dog food because dogs can yep. make taurine. And um, so unless the taurine has been um, like there's a lot of food companies and absolutely the kibble companies, but even some other fresh food companies, um, whether they're lightly cooked or or whatever, they will add synthetic taurine. It's actually very hard to balance a fresh food diet for a cat without adding taurine. What's what's synthetic taurine? Is it sounds... Oh, it's just like like lots of supplements. And some supplements are, you know, they're not, they get a lot of bad rap. There's, they're not apples and, you know, mm. we're talking apples and mm. oranges and things like that. Some supplements are just, it's just the way it is. But obviously whole food base of minerals and vitamins is mm. always going to be better. Um, but it's just so important cats get their taurine. So, yeah, I think in most raw food diets that are well balanced, they're just going to have a lot of heart as part of their muscle okay. meat ratio. Okay, a couple of things. So number one, I, I- Cats yeah. notoriously bad hydrators. They are, yeah. So then we look at their natural um, 
foraging and eating, and that's going to be, say, 60 to 70% water, isn't it? So meat mm. is 60 to 70% water. And then you look at kibble and the cats who love their kibble, 10% water. There is no way that they compensate for that in their day-to-day life. They're just, it's not in their nature to do that. So then you look at these cats that are fed kibble for the whole life and the owners very kindly put down a bowl of water and a bowl of kibble and that's what Mm. most cats get realistically. They might get a tin every now and again. Um, but they're just not going to drink enough water to compensate for that. So they're living, I guess most integrated vets would consider that cats are living their life in a mildly dehydrated form. And then you add then age-related conditions, arthritis, often obesity comes with at any age, Um, stress, um, you know, other sorts of conditions that will either make them even less inclined to go to the water bowl or too stressed or their body has a higher demand and it's putting so much pressure on their kidneys, let alone all the other organ functions. So water's really important and I encourage all pet parents to have um, a water fountain, even like definitely for cats, but even consider it for dogs too. I think water is just, an, it's a real nutrient. I think it's often Yeah, I think um, with that water fountain, for some reason, I know my dog at the park, he prefers to drink from a running tap, you know. So I think that gives yeah. them something else, whether yeah. it's stimulation or just the fact that they instinctively know running water is going to be cleaner than stagnant water. I don't know. But that's that's a really cool point. Maybe, you know? maybe. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. I've got some pet parents that um, only feed their pets spring water too, not tap water. Frank uh, Frank gets uh, sometimes lightly yeah, sparkling water. You never know. No, he doesn't. Does he? No, of course not. No. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, absolutely hydration and is, is really, really big for me and really thinking about what – cats need um and i guess i always grew up as a vet in my early years thinking well kibble at least it's cleaning their teeth a bit but we now know it doesn't yeah um and i guess i i finally always thought that the kibble was better value for money because you're not paying for water but right. i never thought about what the actual impact and that was my mindset for so many years i was like why would people buy tin food you're just paying for water yeah what a waste yeah, of money. yeah 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 um, but until you understand the real uh, physiology behind everything and what they, what their natural diet and everything is, you, you, I don't know. Ignorance is bliss, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, ed- and education really is power with all these things. So, yeah, hopefully that makes a little bit more sense. You just got to wait for that um, moment where the town clock falls and you don't, don't you? And you just got to go. Oh my god, everything just makes complete sense now. But so they're they're notoriously bad hydrators, but they mm. they also have a bad name of being picky mm. eaters as well, right? So it can be difficult to transition a cat from one diet to another, right? Yeah, it really can. And there's actually been some recent research uh, showing that what you offer a cat in their early period, so in their kitten phase really impacts the ability to change their diet long-term. So the more you can uh, expose a cat to all different proteins and Mm. styles of food and everything like that from a tiny age, the better you will be long-term. But it can be, I would encourage all pet parents if they really want to move to fresh, which I wish everyone would, be really patient with cats, really, really patient. It can take like three months. Yeah. Like it can take a really, really long time. Um, and what we tend to do is feed the normal food 
and then one you've got lots of different tricks some people say just put a tiny bit of the new food in and build up that tiny bit over time that's sort of the classic model another technique is to say put the food there and then just near them put not in the bowl just near them put the new food or like say if you want to introduce them to eating raw bones just put your raw chicken wing or neck or tip whatever you're doing just put that there every day just keep putting it there keep putting it there keep putting it there one day they're going to have a sniff and they might not. And then the next, they might, they will eventually do it. But I guess if you look at their whole life, it's really worth investing in yeah. because their nutrition is everything and their dental health is everything too. And cats just don't, normal kibble doesn't clean the teeth. Tin food doesn't clean the teeth. Um, having less carbs is much better on there. You know, carbs turn into sugar, so that's got to be a lot better for your teeth. And, yeah. Um, Processed food's not good for your teeth. We all know that. So a fresh food diet, but they still need to chew. And also they need to chew for their mental health. So it's reconditioning them to go back to what they want to do naturally. They they hunt, don't they? So when they're chewing, then they're releasing all the happy hormones and things. So we are helping them despite their stubbornness to move to a fresh food diet sometimes. Now you just mentioned bones before with cats, but mm. not the big marrow bones that do you give to no. dogs, right? What what bones do you, do you give cats? Yeah, so I tend to stick just to the raw and probably because they're accessible, raw chicken bones. So right. they're really not. You can even just get like pick up organic human-grade chicken bones at the supermarket these days. Mm. So um, chicken wings, chicken necks. I know chicken necks are a little bit controversial in the, um, you know, the raw feeding space. Um but yeah, chicken bones tend to be my go-to. I'd say. Okay. Um, people get sometimes get a bit more adventurous, but I find getting too adventurous with cats with bones has never really worked for me. But I'd love to hear if anyone has you know much success. Uh, some cats will eat fish bones, but not usually. Yeah. Um, and then once you move on to lamb beef, it all gets a bit big because I guess again we're back to picturing well, what would they do in the wild? Yeah, right. Yeah, that makes sense, right? Because they they would catch a bird or eat a small little rodent the or something like that. Pretty ambitious, isn't it? Yeah, it could be a big cat. Possums! My God, how many? How many possums? Imagine if you could find possum bones. You'd be loving that revenge, hey? Oh my word! So apparently they love rabbit. Actually, sorry, I should just mention rabbit is a thing. Yes, now I have heard that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I actually think someone told me Big Dog made rabbit um years ago. We did. And people still request it. it yeah, was when yeah. I was working there, we had rabbit, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. So but I think it can be I imagine it'd be quite hard to source human grade. I, I think that's yeah, and I think also just supply as well, those sorts of things. You yeah. Know, you, you want you want a yeah. consistent high grade uh high quality supply of, of raw raw ingredients. Yes. So it makes it has sense. to be quality first, oh, isn't it? Absolutely. Now we sound like we're doing a good plug. No, I know. Um, so, so we've got a really high level of protein. We want, you know, 80% muscle meat. And within that's got to be yes. a, a large component of heart meat for the taurine, mm -hmm. which is the essential amino acid that dogs can produce and cats can't. And it's... That's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and about 15% uh, offal and then, you know, five percent of of whatever else that they're, they're getting through yeah, throughout that the veg yeah the exactly yeah. um we need the moisture which funnily enough big dog uh cat does have a hell of a lot of moisture in it but cats 
yep. require a lot of moisture in their diet because they're not going to go uh, finding that from a processed diet. You want the mm. water fountain potentially, but obviously access to water as well. Um, yep. And there can be some pretty horrible long-term health effects by long-term carbohydrate consumption, right? Because of the lack of yeah. the salivary amylase. Yes, absolutely. So lack of that. And also just the overwhelm. So they do, the other place we get amylase from, and I know we've talked about this in a previous podcast, Johnny, is the pancreas. Yes. So the pancreas releases amylase for carbs and you've got your proteases for yes. protein in your lipase for fat. Um, and so when your body eats these things, the pancreas goes, right, I'm ready to go. But for cats and dogs, they don't really want much carbs. So we're constantly showering their body with these high carb diets. And every time they eat something, the pancreas is just like, are you serious? Amylase again. I don't, I'm not yeah. into this. And so they're just constantly working overtime to pump out amylase. And they'd much rather be doing protease and lipase and sorting out the protein and fat. That's their, that's their jam. That's what they want to do. So we're constantly putting stress on this pancreas with the way we feed our pets these days. Um, and so guess what? What do we see? Pancreatitis, you know? Yeah. It's so prevalent in kibble-fed cats and dogs um, and it's just I, I genuinely don't see it in fresh-fed dogs. It is so rare, so rare. It's funny, since our last chat when we went a little bit deep into the function of the pancreas, I've been so aware of my pancreas when I'm eating. I'm like, I need to practice good pancreas care when eating. So <laughs> there you go. You've had, a, you've had a positive effect on me, so that's good. Um, good. We also just touched on uh, bones, which is, you know, mainly those smaller sort of chicken wings, um, chicken carcasses, things like that. And you, you, you brought up a really good point. You said it actually helps them with their stimulation and their behaviour as well. Cats have um cats can get anxiety as much as dogs right oh absolutely and i don't know i mean you probably couldn't say it's more prevalent <laughs> i i would say the prevalence of it is much higher than owners are aware of it whereas with dogs dogs are a little bit more dramatic yeah to be honest like we know when the dogs are feeling anxious they're they're tearing the house down, Shaking. they're panting, they're yeah. vocalising, they're doing whatever. Cats, they'll just go and hide or they'll start over-grooming themselves or they'll start urinating on the couch or they'll just do weird behaviour and that's their version of anxiety. Will they also hold urine in if they're anxious? They can. So there's a quite a well-known uh, urinary condition that changes its name every few, few years, but <laughs> yeah. a lot of people will um, know it as like feline lower urinary tract disease. It's, in, it's a sterile inflammatory condition. So it's like a UTI, but instead of bacteria causing it, inflammation causes it. Right. So inflammation is blocking the, the urethra, which is your outflow from the bladder, um, and it stress triggers that whole pathway. It's really, it's a bizarre, weird condition that cats get. Um, but it's, again, I really don't see it in fresh-fed cats. Yeah, it's a they, real, yeah. real cat. Um, and it's, can be, it can be life-threatening in boys because they have a skinny little urethra that gets blocked with stones and oh. it, then if you've blocked you're, you're squirming in your chair judge yeah, I, I don't want to hear that Ugh. 
If you block it, then you get back pressure on the bladder and it starts like a balloon and it can pop. Um, but And then your black, so you've got your urethra, bladder, and then your ureters going up to your kidney. And so then you're getting, so back pressure on that, back pressure on the kidneys, acute kidney failure, like t- it's horrific. Oh, my um, God. Painful, awful. So, just, yeah, stress is really important. Just fresh feed your cat, okay? That's it. Just do that. Yeah. Let's, let's and reduce get past stress. That. Reduce stress. No, it's, yeah. it's funny. When I used to work in a, um, a company that, transported animals around the world when I was living overseas and I can remember a couple of cats came in with you know these strict instructions and that they said if they get stressed they're not going to urinate and I'm like well they're already stressed they're being shipped from you know the USA mm-hmm. to Germany so yeah they're, they're stressed already mm-hmm. and I can remember have you know being there having to stay overnight with these two cats trying to get them to go to the toilet and I had to call in the, you know, 24-hour vet and get this vet to take care of them. It was stressful for me as well as the cats, these yeah. poor things. But fortunately, they um, they came good. But, yeah, they just wouldn't go to the toilet and you could see they're in discomfort, these poor things. But anyway. Oh, it's, it's so stressful. Yeah, I know any – I had a girlfriend, a vet nurse, um, recently who brought a cat back from the UK, and I think because she has the experience of it, she was calling the place like 20 times a day, has he urinated? Has yeah, he urinated? That's what, has he urinated that's what I was dealing with. It's exactly what You're I was so dealing with. paranoid because yeah. you're like, oh, my God. Does he look? Does he look unwell? Is he vomiting? Is he this? You just you're so tense because they just don't show overt clinical signs for so many things, and stress just plays such a big role. But I guess the question for us is why do we see so much stress in cats? And I think a lot of it really is um, the fact that we keep them all indoors these these days in. Uh, un- like I guess in social units it isn't natural to them either so we've talked about whether the diet's natural but I think also the social structure that we're doing with cats is not natural and we're not necessarily doing what we can to um, make it as as you know as it possibly can be the best for them and there's really critical things that pet owners or cat owners can do to their home environment which may not always be the most aesthetically pleasing thing but it's really important um, to to make sure that we reduce their stress and improve their quality of life so um, yeah for me it's all about vertical spaces okay talk to me about that what can we do in our, you know, because as I said, majority of cats are indoors. A lot of them will come and go. But I think there are certain, mm-hmm. there might even be some certain laws in places that your cats have to be indoor cats. Um, so yeah, what, I think different councils have yeah. it, don't they? So what can we do with our indoor space to ensure that our cat is getting the, the most it needs out of its environment to reduce its stress and anxiety? Yeah, so I think when, again, back to, it always still comes back to what they would do in the wild. They don't like being on the ground for a very long period of time, cats. So they find movement on the ground and living on the ground quite stressful and quite threatening because obviously that can, a predator can get them. So they actually like being elevated. So being elevated gives them sort of, I guess, a, a territory and gives them a ability to reduce stress because they can watch what's going on. So there's no threats from above. 
So, and then I guess it gives them a social hierarchy. So if you've got multiple cats in a house, giving them a point of elevation just gives them that zone. Whereas if there's nowhere to go, it's really stressful. It's like, even if you go into the vet clinic, if you, I don't know if you see some vet clinics these days, um, they'll have what they call like cat hotel kind of, or um, what do they call it? Like cat parking. And they'll actually have these elevated um, platforms yeah. to keep the cat carrier on. Yeah. Yeah. Because the cats are happier, elevated. So translate that back to your house. And unfortunately, what that means is you need to have vertical platforms. And, um, you know, even if it's not in your whole house, have an area of your house where there's spaces where the cats can elevate themselves and get away from each other if there's multiple cats. Or just get away from you, get away from the kids, get away from the dog, get away from everyone and just do their own thing. Give them space. You can buy those modular things, right? That are um, that they're scratchy as well as they can l- latch onto, yeah. and they can climb up to different levels. So one of those sorts of things would surely be a must for every cat owner, right? Definitely be a must. I would dare say it's probably not enough. To oh, be really? I think, yeah. To, I mean, look, it depends on your cat. Some cats are really chill, and some cats that might be enough. But if your cat's showing any sign of stress, mm. um, whether you've got any over grooming, it's not affectionate. If it's a little bit of a high needs kind of cat, you might have to do some more adaptations to your house. So you might actually have to, like, almost put a picture lead shelf in or you can have a look at like there's some cool tiktoks and stuff on that um with what people have done but that also relates to feeding and drinking and toileting because they just you come back to it cats just don't they like to do things on their own in their own time they're solitary so they need their own zone to go to the toilet their own zone to eat their own zone to drink their own zone to play, their own zone to sleep. They don't want to do it all in the same place with the other cats in the house. Where the hell did kitty litter come from? Like what? In the nineteen fifties, actually. Like what the hell? Like mm. it, it's that's got mm. nothing to do with anything an animal does in the wild. Yet you have, no. you have to have kitty litter now. What is that? No, and it's really interesting. I was actually at a conference this year, and um, a bit behaviourist who's quite well known in Australia, Kirsty Sexel, showed us a um, video of a cat going to the toilet outside and they would dig in the um, soil and you watch a cat and it would have been a metre square that the cat used to go to the toilet. (laughs) It was insane. It was huge. But that was the space the cat wanted. And so then we put them in these little litter boxes with this artificial litter whether it's and cats are very fussy with litter some cats like that recycled paper some like crystal some like this you got to find cats litter um but we're putting this in this artificial place where they can't move around they're not displaying normal behavior and we know when animals can't display their natural behavior they get stressed so that all these things there's so many factors so it it is really hard for a high needs cat to appease them in a house. Like if they if they want all these things and they've got a lot of natural instincts, it's really it can be quite challenging. Wow. So what's so let's say you're living in an apartment. What's the answer there with do you take it outside on a lead or what can you do? Because it's know. not gonna I go think... when it's on a lead with you, is it? It's you know what I mean? It wants its own space. Yeah, I guess you probably do your research and pick a 
either a pedigree cat or to a shelter and try and pick a cat that's pretty laid back. Yeah. So um, don't pick a cat that seems really, I guess, talk to the breeder or talk to the shelter and explain your situation and they will understand the cat's behaviour, whether it's that breed, the, the heritage of them, whether they will adapt to that because if you put the wrong cat into an apartment, you've got a nightmare in your hands. Yeah. But I guess not in a dissimilar way to a dog. You do your research about dog breed. I think just lots of people think that it's just more a one-size-fits-all with a cat. You know, you get a cat, whereas a dog, you're talking about a Labrador or yeah, a Griffin or a Maltese. And we all are aware they have such different temperaments, aren't we? Yeah. But with that, the cat, we just think the cat's the cat. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, yeah. Do they need the cats? I mean, we, we want to exercise our dogs, and you mentioned that obesity, obesity is an issue with cats. Can we exercise our cats? Mm. What can we do? You can, and I think that um, I guess it depends on, again, we're comparing to nature. If they would be outside, they'd be doing a lot of exercise, jumping trees and foraging and hunting. So there's no way we can emulate that. Yeah, It's not like having a dog where you go to the dog park, we can go for a run. That's yeah. easy. Cats is a bit more challenging. Um, if you can get, you can get some cats to chase their food and things like that, and you've got these little flirt poles. Lots of, they're called flirt poles. Have you seen them? Yeah. Dogs have yeah, them as well. Yeah, they I know like, what you mean. Yeah. yeah. But cat, you can really train cats. You can get them to sit, to spin, to drop, and they actually really like that enrichment. Um, so it's the mental enrichment and a little bit of exercise in one. But, yeah, they. Um, I think definitely obesity is a, a really big issue in cats, but also this poor muscle condition. I always see, um, I don't know if this is a very flattering description, but the, you see what I call like these grandpa cats at the end and they've got these, they've got these like really just not, a, I, don't, I probably don't know where I go with this story. <laughs> Let's see <laughs> where it goes. Like, <laughs> they've got these like flat bums and no muscles in their little yeah, legs. Yeah, yeah. And they've just lost all muscle condition because they're not doing anything. But it's also because no one notices arthritis in these older cats and the prevalence is crazy. I think the statistics are like 80 to 90% of cats over 12 or 14 have arthritis, but only about 10 to 15% of the owners realise they've got arthritis. It's really scary. So, so they've only, like the poor little cats, they're running around in pain. Well, not running around, they just sleep all day and we don't realise. And they're all suffering from arthritis. So how, so how do they get this arthritis chronic condition? I mean, you're going to say diet, aren't you? I'm always going to say diet. <laughs> so chronic inflammation going through your body, yeah. no doubt, is going to accelerate any inflammatory condition. That's just life. And you've, so, you've said um, earlier that dogs are more dramatic than cats. The cats aren't going to communicate their pain to you. I mean, dogs are pretty stoic, but cats are a next level again. So these yeah. these poor cats are getting around with arthritis and we don't even know it. But can we see it? Mm. You know, uh, can we, if you keep an eye on them, will you notice, oh, it's not, yeah. you know, Jeff, so Jeffy's not as agile as he used to be, you know. Yeah, so definitely there's a hesitation to jump up and down. That's one of the first things I'll notice. Yeah. Um, and then I'll, you'll notice that the cats won't um, curl when they sleep. They're sort of not, they just don't look as comfortable. Okay. Um, and then the other thing which is adorable is have you ever heard how cats loaf when they put their front paws like that? Do you know no. cats loaf? They call it loafing. So you see a cat sitting down on something and the two front paws will be tucked in and they look like a loaf. Okay. So 
the cats get wrist and elbow arthritis. And so I've got a beautiful um, cat patient of mine called Maui. Shout out to Maui if we um, <laughs> Shout out. listening. She's beautiful. And we noticed that he stopped loafing. So one of his paws would sit out because mm. of his arthritis. But when he's acupuncture and everything's up to date, he goes back to loafing. Wow. So he gets regular acupuncture to keep him comfortable with his Good arthritis. On. He's on supplements and things like yeah. that. But we know when he's uncomfortable because he stops loafing. <laughs> How does he go with the acupuncture, like tapping the He's good. The I, I had um, Harold Sun come and do a photo of him getting acupuncture a while ago. That's so unreal. Cats, like, cats are amazing with acupuncture. Oh, my gosh, they're so good. Catchupuncture. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's catchy. Yeah. You could you could trademark yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, bang. Don't steal that. I'll, <laughs> yes, I'll go no, no. That. Yeah, it's all yours. <laughs> um, yeah, so, cats, oh my gosh, we should talk about it. cats are so good with people just think you can't do anything with cats either. And I've probably made that out like to be worse than ease, but cats do really well with acupuncture. So that's amazing. So so mm-hmm. they just I mean, I think I'm a miracle worker because Frank will just let me put drops in his eyes. You know, he won't Yes. He won't um, play up. If I go for his ears, it's a different story. But the fact that a cat will just lie there and allow you to give it acupuncture, that's remarkable. Well, they cats are real energy creatures and I think they just know they either trust you or they don't. Yeah. Horses are a bit like that too, aren't they? They either trust you or they don't. And so you've got these beautiful clinicians that have such a beautiful training with acupuncture and they know what they're doing and so the cats know whether. They're like, I trust you or I don't. So they'll they'll sit there um, because they know you're trying to help them. They're, I know the sense starting to go a little bit woo-woo, isn't it? But it's they really do. Uh, cats are amazing like that. They either they really either trust you or they or they don't. So but it's not woo-woo. It's common sense. If an animal thinks you're there to hurt it, it's going to behave differently mm. than when it thinks you're there to help it or just there, right? Yeah, and it's a, there's a confidence with it too. I think that's, um, you know, another topic for another day is that concept of emotional contagion. You know, the animals can sense that elevated heart rate, the, you know, that internal stress, the cortisol, all of that. They know what's going on. And yeah. so they'll pick up on that just like we would with, and we pick it up from them as well. So if you see an inexperienced um you know, person trying to hold a cat, or I see lots of cat owners that are unfortunately a bit scared of holding their cats. And as soon as you over-restrain them or everyone's freaking out, the cat just loses it and it's, you know, all cards are off. Whereas if you're quite calm and composed and you take your time, and I think if you talk to cat experts, they'll say that the more you rush, the slower you go. If yeah, you know what right. I mean. Like yeah. just, the slower you go, the faster it'll be. And just, yeah, cat it's their own language and you have to understand them. And I hope everything we're talking about today is really um, that sort of the, the heart of it all is we just need to understand them from their point of view and we can really help them have a much better quality of life. We need to understand how their physiology works. We need to understand how their brain works. So we need to understand how they would behave in the wild so we can do our best to emulate that. We need to understand how they'll show clinical signs of being in pain and things so that we can read those things and um, you know, and and just little things we do can make such a big difference for them. So, yeah, I mean, ho- holding cats is a because you hold the cat more than dogs, unless you got like a tiny little dog. Most cats, mm. cats of most size, you hold them. Um, when I was working in that 
pet transport industry, I, I learned on day one that um, we had these shoulder length gloves oh, that no. we, you would use to grab the cats out. And I was like, oh, no, I know how to hold a hat, a cat. <gasps> I used the gloves very, very soon after that because they are stressed, you know, coming out of cages and crates and things like that. Um, so we have come about, a long way to that cat handling, though. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, so arthritis is one thing that they're probably going to suffer in silence with. So we need to mm. keep an eye out for the indicators of arthritis. Yep. What sort of other, I guess, um, conditions will we see in elderly cats as they get older? What, what other things should we be looking for? So dental disease is huge in cats, just as it is in dogs. Cats um, get this condition more prevalent than dogs called the uh, – actually, they've changed the name of this again. I can't remember what they changed. It used to be called odontoclastic resortive lesions. It now has a new name as of a few months ago. Um, basically, the immune system attacks the teeth and breaks them down. And I, my mum's cat had it and I – had to remove, he only just turned two. Before he was two, I had to remove almost all of his teeth because they were oh, eating man. themselves away. So oriental cats get it more than other cats, but the prevalence is huge. Like 30% of cats have at least a tooth, um, so much so that you, every single cat that gets a dental should probably really have dental x-rays because a lot of it starts under the gum line. So we can't see it as pet owners. We have to go get no. it. Oh, okay. You can when it's quite advanced. Um, and, and if you see your cat hesitating to eat, like they walk up to the food, then they walk back or they shutter their jaw or there's just something not right, they're drooling, anything like that, yeah, I would always get the teeth checked. It's really, really common. So that's definitely a really big thing. And then the other condition, there's two other conditions we see a lot in cats as they get older, um, and that's kidney disease. So kidney failure, and you don't unfortunately see overt signs of kidney disease until they've lost like two-thirds of their kidney function. Oh, my so God. So until they go into kidney failure, and realistically in Australia we can't do kidney transplants. So the classic clinical sign, the first thing you'll see is an increased thirst. So they'll be drinking a lot more water and then urinating a lot more. So that's okay. one of your classic signs. Once it advances, you get a buildup of toxins in the bloodstream and you'll start getting that poor breath. They'll lose weight and look a bit, you know, poor skin coat condition, uh, poor muscle condition, all those things that you can see with kidney disease. It's really sad. But the um, for cat owners out there and for dog owners, it's the same equation. If you want to figure out if your pets are drinking too much water, it's 100 mils per kilo per day. So yeah. for most cats would weigh four to five kilos. I've seen plenty weigh more than that. Um, so that is basically if you put two cups of water into a bowl and it went in that day, I'd be quite worried about your cat okay. and maybe want to not, don't panic, but you'd want to get the um, blood tests and, and urine tests. But I guess any sudden change in drinking or if you look back over the last three months, you're like, oh, they're still drinking quite a bit more water. Definitely worth getting blood and urine tests done just to check the kidneys because if it's not the kidneys, the other really common one is the thyroid. Yeah, that of often, course. Um, gets, uh, have you heard about cats getting hyperthyroidism, so an yeah. overactive? So cats often get hyperthyroidism, like hyperactive, overactive thyroid gland. Um, dogs will get hypo. So people yeah. think of hypoglycemia, low glucose with yeah. diabetes. 
thing at high. But they, the dogs will get the low version of the thyroid more commonly than the overactive. So, um, yeah, really common in cats. Um, especially as they get older, they will often drink excessively. But in cats, you tend to see more vomiting and diarrhea and weight loss. Okay. okay. Yeah. So as our cats get older, we need to keep an eye out for their dental condition, their kidney condition, and also their thyroid function. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Mm. I'm pretty sure I know the answer to it. How do we limit the instances of those chronic conditions happening to a cat in later life? Well, what do you think? I, I'm going to oh, ask no. you, Johnny, what do you think my number one after everything is? We are what we eat. Funny about yeah. that. So yeah, it's just, I mean, diet, it's just the same with humans. And I wish I knew this earlier. And I feel horrible for my first five years as a, as a vet when I would roll my eyes at all those raw feeders. A, a balanced and really important with cats with the taurine, a balanced fresh food diet is really important. Minimal stress, good water intake. It's that kind of trio of things and you will have a very happy cat. And and whilst, you know, pretty much everything we've discussed here today, we could go down a rabbit hole on all of those individual topics. It's actually quite straightforward from a care point of view, right? If you provide mm. the, right, the right environment and provide the right, um, the diet and keep an eye on things, it's probably mm. going to be you know, a pretty healthy and happy cat. Um, yeah, absolutely. Now, from an owner's point of view, something that's been in the news actually just today mm. is something called toxoplasmosis. Mm. Now, tell me about this and why is it related to cats? So cats, this is an interesting one. Um, and I think there's a lot of... Oh, what would I say? I've, I would find there's a lot of misinformation about toxoplasmosis. So you'll find, um, and especially around pregnancy with women, because that's when we see actual issues with toxoplasmosis. So cats shed toxoplasmosis. I think the stats are something like, and I could get this wrong, but from my memory, it's about 70-ish percent of cats will be positive for it. It's common. Um Dogs can get it, but they don't shed it. Different, different sort of life cycle. So, seventy odd percent of cats will cats will shed the oocysts from in their feces, and they can. I guess if you touched the feces and you ingested it after a certain point in time, you could get toxoplasmosis from a cat. The trick with a cat is that it takes one to five days after they've passed a stool, so after they've shed these feces, to actually become infectious. So if you picked up their feces straight away, no issue at all. So for a lot of the um, pregnant women or owners out there, immune-compromised households, you don't all have to go and get rid of your cats, please. They can still live harmoniously and happily in your house. <laughs> you just need to clean out the litter tray every single day or twice a day. And I guess if you're pregnant, I would get someone else to do it for me. But if you can't, put on a glove, do it every day. Just don't let it get to that 24-hour mark and, you know, it's all fine. But, all right, sorry. You're no, right. yeah, I was going to say, but there's there's another means in which it can rear its head, isn't there? Yeah. And I so I would say the more common reason you would get it um, is one that never gets any blame at all. No one even remembers around. Remember, not all cats stay inside. They don't right. all hang around 
in the house. They jump over your fence. They go everywhere. And they're not all going to the toilet in their litter trays, are they? So they will go and, you know, defecate all around the place. And so they're going to do it in people's fruit and veggie gardens, anywhere, everywhere. And so many people garden these days. If you garden and you don't wash your hands, you, you harvest your tomatoes and your you know, you pull out your lettuce from the garden and you're not washing it properly, you're much, much, much more likely to get toxic that way. Yeah. Wash your fruit and veggies. They're much, much more common to get toxoplasmosis that way. So I cannot emphasise how much more common than to get it from your cat in your house's you know, litter tray if you practise good hygiene. It's just not going to happen. Wash your fruit so, and veggies. So what, what drove that, that topic? Dr. Nick, is that there was a story um, that I saw today in, in mm. on online about a lady who had contracted toxoplasmosis, tested positive to it, mm. and then had an, an adverse effect to her baby, which is absolutely terrible. Oh, it's horrible. Um, mm. It is. Um, and But that wasn't via the means that you just said. It was via cleaning out a horse stable that a cat had been using to go to the toilet and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, so, so you're saying that that, you know, if you've got your own veggie garden and your, your own sort of um, food that you're growing at home, which a lot of, so many people do these days, you know. Yeah, which is great. We love that. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I've just literally started my own herb garden just on the weekend. Oh, really? I'm going to start growing my own herbs, yeah. And the, the other thing that just popped into my head is that there was a story about two weeks ago of a lady who was foraging. So it wasn't her own stuff. It was wild wild spinach not mushrooms forage <laughs> no it wasn't no oh, uh, she would have preferred she would have preferred the mushrooms but this this um worm got into her brain oh yes i, I saw that on saw tiktok that story. yeah 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 that, yeah, that yeah. was from foraging wild spinach oh. i believe which yeah 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 i saw that is literally the most terrifying thing i've ever heard of in my life so I know. Um, yeah, if, if 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 AI isn't going to kill us, it's these worms getting into our brains. But I, um, I did want to raise that, and I think you've explained that really, really well. And it's nothing to be feared um, straight off the bat as a cat owner. It's just you know clean out your kitty litter regularly. Yeah, which, yeah, you know, and and it be is doing anyway. It's only that um, the early, like a lot of things with pregnancy with women, it's the early stage of pregnancy as yeah. well, um, and you can get brain eye issues it's it's horrendously tragic i think you would find most vets would um get toxo i'm sure i got toxo tested um before i had my own human children yeah. just so i knew as a vet whether i was at a high risk in the early stages of pregnancy to be really careful because because i obviously can you know come into contact with feces in lots of different ways in my profession. Um, yeah. So vets are probably at a much higher risk than people cleaning out their own litter trays, their own cat's litter trays. So, yeah, but no, thank you. It's a, it's a very good point. They get a really bad rap for it. Yeah. So, no, mm. it's not them. It, it, usually, just like anything with any pets, it's not them, it's us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dr. Nick, we're, we're, I think we're coming to the, to the close of this. We've touched on the diet, which, surprise, surprise, a raw, fresh diet is going to be better for yeah. your animal. What a shock. Mm. Um, mm. We've touched on uh, their environment and how that needs to be a stimulating, but also you spoke a lot about height as well mm. and allowing especially multiple cat households to have that space and that height 
so they can um, find the natural order of things within their social structure as well. And then we talked in, into, you know, you know, some of the things to look for in your aging cat with regards to, you know, dental health, arthritis, kidney function and thyroid as well. Mm. So as we, as I said before, you know, you can do some pretty simple things as a cat owner, um, even if your cat's, you know, not a kitten, even if it's older, just to ensure that you are improving its quality of life and its health, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Can I throw in one other really common myth after we're talking about talk? So in this Please. could be a whole nother, a whole nother podcast, but it's a real passion point of mine. Um, essential oils are not toxic to cats. Is it like the garlic in dogs situation? I know. It's like the garlic in dogs. We will, I'm sure we can do another podcast for another day. Cats have a different liver metabolism to dogs. They're cats. They're not dogs. So you do things differently. But I promise you, we can talk about another day. Essential oils are not toxic to cats. We do not use all of them. So the phenolic compounds, you know, time, things like that as much. But they're not toxic. You know what we got to do? My little we, <laughs> I love it. We what we need to do, Nick, is we got to gather up all of these myths for cats and yes, dogs, right? I and know. Lay, lay them out and just do a full podcast where we just go busted, busted, busted. Yes. True, yeah. true, true. Busted, 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 and just go through all of the common myths or you know and and rumors and work out if they're truths or untruths. What do you reckon? That'd be so fun. That'd be, yeah, we'll go into and we'll give the science behind it. That's what's so important. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll go garlic, avocado. They're two favourite ones. Essential oils and cats. It's another favourite one of mine. Um, And, yeah, I think that's a fantastic idea. I just thought the other thing I might mention is um, if you do have a cat that has arthritis and or stress or things like that there are a lot of natural things you can give them so there are still a lot of supplements we don't necessarily use all exactly the same as dogs but there are a lot of similarities green lip muscle we use in dogs and we use in cats um there's a lot of a lot of the uh, anxiety medication is quite similar but there's some also some anxiety supplements again we talked about essential oils just briefly then there are lots of things you can do to give them a better quality of life so Definitely speak to your vet or naturopath or who you utilise and, and we're talking about supplements and drugs and things. There's lots and lots of things we can do, um, even though cats are really hard to tablet. <laughs> um, they are, but there's, yeah. there's lots of things that we can, um, we really can do to, to help them. We should, yeah, it is, ask your vet as well to give you a tip how to tablet a cat because there is a trick. You really need to put their nose to the roof. Not many yeah. people know how to tablet their cat. I right. Was, I was... I was taught it actually, and I think. Were you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, use your thumb, and I think this yes. finger, don't yeah, you, yeah. get around the back of the skull, yeah. tilt right it up, up. Yep. and it yeah. and their mouth will just open automatically. Yes, you don't and have it's to. That, pro- you just drop it in; it's never yeah. a problem. It's yeah, so exactly. Easy. So yeah, that's that's right. Just getting around the back of the. Oh, put it up like I've that, man. Never been bitten or scratched by a cat. Oh my god! Ever. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember being taught that, and I was like, "Oh, yeah, that's that, that's pretty good." Yeah, um, it can be easier said than done. There's injections and powders and all sorts of things. That we've got lots of tricks up our sleeves to help them. Yeah, you certainly do, and I think it's important once again to note that you know that they're just as much part of our family as as dogs are. They they can be wonderful companions, and I'm sure that. There's a lot of people who'll be listening to this who 
their cat is the apple of their eye and, and that's a oh, beautiful absolutely. thing as well. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. They deserve it. Yeah, beautiful. All right, Dr. Nick Hole, let's uh, put a pin in this one, huh? What do you reckon? Very good. Love it. It was great, Johnny. Thank you. Yeah, good chat. That's It's always so unbelievably informative. Um, oh, I w- there was one more thing. Mm-hmm. And I need a short answer on this. Okay. CBD for cats. Will that help their stress yes. and anxiety? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Excellent. There you go. They love, that do you know what? They love the THC. We can't get it in Australia, <laughs> but they love it. They love it. <laughs> of so, course they yeah. do. They need to. Uh, American cats, you're much luckier than Australian cats. You've got access yeah. to the THC access, stuff. Yeah, there you go. Okay, no, I love that. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I got that one in. Well, look. I reckon uh, we're coming up to about time. Dr. Nicole, so I want to thank you so much for another excellent conversation. I can't wait till the next one. Um, and thank you, listener, watcher, viewer, whoever, for coming by for this episode of Pause and Listen. If uh, you miss an episode, you can get on the platform and, and le- look it up. There's heaps that I've done with the lovely Dr. Nicole. He's on the screen right now. If you're on your platform, give us a five-star rating. You and I deserve it. Dr. Nick, we do. don't we? We, do. we certainly yes. do. And if you've got any further questions, you can email customer care at bigdogpetfoods.com. You can call the guys at Big Dog Pet Foods. You can get on their website. There's an absolute library of uh, information and reference material on that website as well. But that's enough from us right now. Dr. Nicole uh, from Shy Tiger, thank you very much. You've been amazing. Thank you. So fun. See you next time, Johnny. All right. Take care. Thanks, everyone. We'll be back again soon. Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information and content, visit the Big Dog Pet Foods website. Please note that the information discussed in these podcasts is general in nature and has been provided in good faith for educational and informational purposes only. The information provided is not, nor is it intended to be, a substitute for professional advice or care. If any of the topics discussed raise questions or concerns for you regarding the health of your pet, we recommend that you consult your veterinarian or trusted pet health provider for an individual assessment and advice. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.